Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. After beating breast cancer in 2020, Junie Boucher completely overhauled her life, leaving a six-figure job in the legal industry. Junie went back to school for nutritional therapy and now has a thriving practice, helping other breast cancer patients use their diagnosis as a catalyst to their best life. She is also a member of the Rose City Sexual Health Collective, where she provides nutrition and stress management support alongside sex therapists to help breast cancer patients rediscover their body confidence. Junie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to be here. Well, I'm I'm excited too. And I just, I love what you're, you're doing. Um, and it just all sounds amazing. But I want to talk about you and your story first. So can you take us back? I know it wasn't that long ago to the beginning of how did you even find out that you had breast cancer? Sure. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I... Well, I have a dog. Uh, You and I were talking before the recording about our dogs. And I happen to be running late for work. I I worked from home even before the pandemic. And I was running a little bit late. So I was in my pajamas uh, before that was a thing and uh, for work. And I'm walking the dog. And I just happened to, it's a quick walk or I'm a little complex. And I happened to walk by a neighbor. And, you know, in my modesty, I kind of, put my hands sort of up up to my chest because I was still in my pajamas, didn't have a bra on. And I remember thinking, I, I feel a lump. And, uh, it was very weird. It felt like it had just come out of nowhere. And I went back inside and my, uh, my boyfriend at the time, I, I said, okay, this is freaking me out. Do you feel this? And he said, I do. So I called the doctor that day, luckily they, they were great and they got me in right away. My doctor said, I'm not super worried, but let's send you for some additional testing anyway. So, you know, then starts the whole deal with everyone kind of giving you their opinion. Hey, hey, it's nothing. You're fine. You're fine. And I don't know why but that, that, that kind of I knew in my heart, or I wanted to believe that was right, but I was also like, yeah, you can't really say that. Like, I, I don't know what's going on. That's right. Um, had but you anyway, had a mammogram you know, prior? Were you? I had just had my first mammogram because okay. I had turned 40 in October, uh, September, and that October I had my first mammogram. This was in July of the very same year, and I had done sp- breasts or I have dense breasts. So that's kind of something we can talk about too, about, you know, mammograms. If you have dense breasts, mammograms really, they're not going to do much for you. Um, so anyway, I'm really happy that my doctor decided after doing just a breast exam and feeling the lump, she said, let's send you for an ultrasound. I go to the ultrasound appointment and I do remember 
getting into not really an argument with my partner, but just going back and forth. He was like, I want to come with you. Let me just come with you. And I was like, you know, I, it's fine. It's, it's nothing. Everybody keeps saying it's a, probably a cyst because I was young for breast cancer yeah. at 41. And, um, and he's like, you know what, just, can you just let me come with you? I said, fine. And, uh, I'm so glad that he insisted on doing that because at that appointment, uh, you know, it went from feeling very routine to being incredibly scary. Uh, you know, after lying there on that table while they're doing the ultrasound and just feeling like this is taking a really long time to tell me that it's nothing. Um, and the radiologist came in and it was shocking to me that he turned to me and said, so I believe that you have breast cancer and I just want you to know that we'll be with you every step of the way. Very kind thing to say, but I remember just being shocked and almost like I was just, I couldn't believe it. It's like, how can you, how can you tell me that right now? Don't you need to do a biopsy? And yeah. that's one thing I don't think a lot of people realize is that sure that they can't confirm 100%, but they can tell pretty definitively on an ultrasound that if you have a cancerous growth or not. And, uh, I was pressing him a little bit. I just said, How, you know, what, what, what percentage are you sure? And he said about 90%. <gasps> and I was like, oh, that's a high percent. That's pretty high. <laughs> now, I just want to clarify. So ha you had a mammogram prior to this? Mm -hmm. That was fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So October to July. So let's see, that would be about nine months. Okay. That's, um, that's a significant amount of time though. So- yeah, it, they did say that they thought it probably had been there before uh, because it was not a particularly fast-growing tumor. Okay. And, um, you know, obviously all testing is – there's fallibility to it. But in my own, you know, journey with breast cancer, I have learned that really a mammogram, if you have dense breast tissue, is – it's very possible that they won't see – what they need to see. Right. So it's so important that we're touching our own breasts and doing self exams and just being aware of our bodies. Yeah. Wow. So he told you right then and there. He did. He was so, uh, he was so blunt, which I don't mind in a person on a normal day, but I just, I didn't know that. I, I had no idea that you could tell. And they, yeah, they said we're gonna. We want to do a biopsy right now. We're gonna send you out to the um, back to the waiting room. Wait, wait and, uh, that day, right then? <laughs> yes. Wow. He's, yeah, he said we want it. We need to sterilize the the room, and um, so they sent me back out there and just yeah, kind of. I I it was that was a little bit rough too because. Here I am with a bunch of people who are just waiting to have their ultrasounds or mammograms. And I, I was a mess. I, I was, I mean, not a disaster, but I was crying. And my sure. boyfriend was like, what just happened? And I was like, can we maybe walk through the hallway a little bit? <laughs> let's not scare um, every person in the waiting yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. I was like, let's, uh, you know, um, yeah. So that was, that was a tough day. And I don't think, 
I would have been able to to drive home at least not for a while. So I'm I'm just so grateful that he had insisted. And that's one thing I tell people, like, let somebody come have support, even when you don't think you need it. Yeah. Wow. What were the next steps? Did they do that biopsy? Yeah, they did the biopsy that day. Um, they, they, they found, or they saw two masses. Um, they did the biopsy. It took about a week to get the, the information back. I had planned, I had a trip planned to, um, this really beautiful part of Yosemite. I was living in California at the time and, um, there was not very good cell service. So that was kind of rough, but I had told myself, you know what, I can sit at home and be really tempted to just Google everything and freak myself out. Or I can go to beautiful Yosemite with my partner and his awesome kids and, and have a good time and wait for this news. And that's what I decided to do. It was, um, it was very nerve wracking still. <laughs> and, and yeah, the doctor called and, um, they, they believed that they had found two small masses, one that was lobular, invasive lobular and invasive ductal car carcinoma. And it's interesting because that all changed once they got in there. But, um, and he said, you know, based on the size and everything, we're going to estimate your stage two. You'll probably need chemo and radiation, but again, just know we're going to be with you every step of the way. And I think like any cancer patient, I, I can still literally feel the sensation in my body having that conversation. I can feel my elbows on this, the countertop like the cool of my elbows on there and the heat of my tears like streaming down my face and the look on my partner's face as he was, you know, watching me take notes, crying. And, you know, he was an incredible support I and mean, we're no longer together, but very good friends. And um, I couldn't have asked for better, but yeah, it was just, that was such a tough day. Um, very scary. But I'm really grateful that I was with people I love. And I happen to be one of those people that decided to just be very open about it from the very beginning because I knew that that the type of person I am would need support from my community and my friends. And I know a lot of people like to be a bit more private, which is also a totally great choice if that's what you need. Because people do have opinions, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I gotta learn. I kind of learned that, but it was also, you know, what? That's okay. Like I, I always, I, I didn't. There was one person who rubbed me a little bit the wrong way by being like, "Well, you know, it's not like uh, it's, you know, that that whole like, well, you have one of those good cancers, and you know, and it was kind of like, I don't know if there's a good cancer, right. but um, you know, and I. And ultimately, yeah, I, I went through the process. I, I'm lucky. I just happened to be a, for whatever reason, I fit, fit the criteria to have a nipple and skin sparing mastectomy. I had decided to go with that choice as opposed to a lumpectomy. My, my surgeons were really open about letting me decide what direction I wanted to go with my surgery. That was the first step. Did you get the and single or 
bilateral? A single. I did have genetic testing because I, I was considered young and I didn't have any um, genetic factors. Okay. So I decided to go with the the single mastectomy because that would potentially get me out of radiation, okay. uh, which was something I was hoping to forego if possible. And uh, so I kind of traded a more invasive surgery for for that. Yeah, tell me, you said something that I don't think anyone's mentioned before. So what uh -huh. is a nipple saving, skin saving surgery? One, how does one become eligible and what is it? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to talk about that. So, so nipple sparing, they, they allow you to keep your own nipple. Um, and you know, a lot of women who have mastectomies, you're used to seeing that sort of Barbie doll breast, uh, because, and they also, they have to, it, it, a lot of it depends on where your tumor is located. Sure. So, cause if there is a potential of there being cancer or it, that being part of that margin of tissue that they need, then they have to take it. Right. Um, and skin sparing meant that they were able to go underneath the breast. So it's essentially, they're trying to really help you keep as much tissue as possible. And for cosmetic purposes, cause I did an immediate reconstruction with an implant. I felt for me that waking up flat on one side was going to be traumatic for me. And I don't regret it. Um, although I do have some concerns because there are women who have issues with implants. Um, I, I opted for a, a single silicone implant. Anyway, nipple sparing, they did a, a biopsy of the nipple while they were under, and then the, the scars is underneath. And, wow. so, um, and you, you said immediate reconstruction. Is that just because you did have enough tissue left after they removed the masses? That's a really good question. A lot of what they said was that they, I believe because the, the, they call it a pocket, right? The yeah. skin pocket. Yeah. I believe because I was like my breasts weren't so large or so small that that I could opt for this and they the where the the tumor was located although they took all the tissue yeah um so That's so they were able to do that, that you didn't have yeah. did you have to go through expanders because i've no. lost track of the number of women who have said that that was the most painful part yes yeah i've heard that too so it was really for me, it was great uh, because I also didn't want to have to go and do, you have to do so many different procedures when you have the expanders yeah. you go in. Yeah. It sounds incredibly painful. And, and I've heard that anecdotally. With this, there are benefits and drawbacks to it because, well, for me, I had to go back for a second surgery because the my tumor was at the two o'clock point on my breast, okay. it, but it was very close to the skin. So what they ended up saying once we got the pathology back was we are 99% positive we got it. However, because it was so close to the skin, we don't have a clear margin. Okay. And unfortunately, most of the time when we do this second surgery to get a clear margin, it's unnecessary. However, it will make us feel more sure that we were able to get everything. They allowed me to make that decision. I opted for it, but it created a, a, a big scar 
for me right here. I don't, um, I know, just I don't know. Just above your breast, can... it looks like. Yeah, okay. just above, just above my breast and it, and they took tissue. So, you know, I mean, granted when I took a look at things after the first surgery, everything was a little bit swollen, but I was like, oh, this kind of looks, this doesn't look too bad because there were no big scars that I could really see. And then after the second surgery, now I do have a big scar and there's like an indentation. And what they recommended was to have a, a, a surgery on the other breast to, to lift it. Um, because basically when you have an implant over the muscle and over, I mean, it, it's still, it does drop a little bit, but it's, you know, it's just like a mound <laughs> there, you know, over skin with skin over right. it. And, um, and my other breast wasn't, it, it wasn't crazy, but it was, you know, a 41 year old woman's breast. So they said, lift the other breast and then we'll do a little bit of a fat transfer for that indentation. Okay. Did that work? You know, I, I have not done that surgery okay. actually. Um, and that's something I like to talk about too, because that was, I, I intended to do it. I, I, um, I still might do it. And that's something that I think is great for women who live in the States that insurance has to cover revisions. Um, so I can still do it, but I, after taking a little bit of time to let my body recover, I just, and having a consultation with the plastic surgeon, she said, you know, basically I was like, can we do something to this one? Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was like, maybe put like a small implant in there. And I, I don't know to make them both really perky. And she was like, honestly, no, I wouldn't do that. I would just lift it. And you're essentially treat, tra trading symmetry for scars. Mm. And, um, and I thought about that and I said, Hmm, I don't know if that's a, if that, I think that's a great trade yeah. to be honest. I kind of felt like leaving my body intact. And one thing I don't think people know about when you do a, a mastectomy is that you lose all feeling. So even though I have my own nipple and I was able to keep a lot of the skin, I have no sensation on that side. And as you mentioned before, I, I work a lot with women about kind of how do you reclaim your body and your sexuality? And, and part of that for me was about retaining that sensation and really, even though a, a revision like that isn't necessarily going to make me lose sensation. It could. And there's going to, you know, I just, I'm like, I, I'm going to just let that one okay. do its thing. So <laughs> you have the surgery, you have the revision. They went back and, and, and you did do a second surgery, right? That left mm -hmm. that indentation. Um, did you have to have chemotherapy or radiation? So I'm very lucky and I'm so grateful that we have wonderful things like the Oncotype score, which I'm sure your, your listeners are familiar with. If they're not, tell us. So I had a hormonally driven breast cancer, which means that chemotherapy, there is a chance that chemotherapy could actually do more harm than benefit. And so one of the Oncotype score is a test. It's, I believe it's only for early stage breast cancer. So when they did a Sentinel, they did, they took some lymph nodes. It had not spread. So, so that gave me an option 
of, oh, and they determined there was only one mass and one type of cancer. So everything was a lot less serious when they got in there. Yeah. Good news. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which I've heard this go mostly the other way. Right. Um, the, so they did this test on me and I had a very low score, which basically meant that it wasn't really going to benefit me. And I was able to opt out of chemo. They did prescribe hormone blocking medication, which pretty much any woman who has hormone driven breast cancer is going to get a prescription for tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors. I did not have a wonderful experience with that. You're no longer on it? No, I am not. So tell us about that. Yeah. So this is a, you know, a a controversial decision. Um, That's okay. I... Yeah, you know, and I, but I also think this is an important thing to talk about. And statistically, about, you know, up to 50% of women who are prescribed this go off it. And especially with young women, they wanted me to be on it for 10 years. I kept an open mind about it. Um, I heard a lot of horror stories because what tamoxifen does is it blocks, is the goal is to block your tumor or any potential circulating cancer cells of being fed by hormones in your body. And the unfortunate side effect of this medication is that things that your body needs those hormones for, they don't get them. Right. And so it can give a lot of women very menopausal symptoms. I was doing a lot health-wise and I had talked to so many different women who had had wildly different experiences. Some had zero side effects and some had tons of side effects. And I said, I'm going to give it a go. But I'm also, I I had this very intense feeling in my gut that this was not the thing for me. And I had done my own research and I really felt to me personally, like that wasn't addressing the root cause of my cancer. It was trying to be an insurance policy that had some side effects. So I also had a lot of things that I looked at in terms of my decision because ultimately I I had all the side effects. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm a very kind of even keeled person and I felt incredible anger, just like very intensive anger. I couldn't sleep, which is something I... I usually am very good at sleep. I'm good, good sleeper. Um, I gained a bunch of weight, like rapidly. My, I have a history of thyroid issues, which had been controlled for decades. And my thyroid just went completely bonkers. My triglycerides went through the roof, which could be related to the thyroid. It was just all the things. And so how long were you actually on it? I was on it for a hundred days. They gave me a hundred pills. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I said, laugh, oh. but that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, they gave me a hundred pills. I said, I'll, I'll give this a try. And you know, just to, to cover all the bases, I will tell you that I did discuss this with my oncologist and a naturopathic oncologist I was working with. And you know, my, my Western on, or my allopathic oncologist, she did say that she with some of her patients would see some women who would have side effects that would subside after six months. So she said, you know, 
maybe try it for a little bit longer. And I just said, I can't, I can't, I I just, I don't want to do it. And something in my gut is just telling me this is not the right thing for me. So I'm going to, I'm going to do hormone balance. I'm going to really balance my hormones. I'm going to change my lifestyle completely. (laughs) And, um, and I'm just going to follow my intuition. And after a lot of soul searching, I don't have children. You know, I, I that probably would have changed my decision. There were a lot of things that I felt like m- comfortable making this choice of quality of life, um, of, you know, versus quantity. Because, mm-hmm, yeah. Because, but, you know, whether you do the tamoxifen or not, unfortunately, there's no guarantees. Right. But I had to really come to terms with the fact that if I made this decision, you know, my cancer could come back. But at the same time, I could have made the other decision and I could come back. But uh, so I went off, I went off the tamoxifen and then I did kind of, yeah, I I sort of changed, started changing everything about my job, my, my relationships. Um, I was already on a pretty good health plane, but had to really look at things like my alcohol consumption um, and really getting into a stress management practice. Uh, you know, I, I'm a I'm a very disciplined meditator and that's been life-changing in itself. Would you mind talking about relationships? Because mm-hmm. A lot of people get healthier or if they're already healthy, become healthier, you know, make better choices, add mind-body practices like meditation, and even change their lives. But you said relationships. Mm-hmm. So would you mind elaborating on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I firmly believe that toxins are not just environmental. Um, they're not just in our cleaning products or beauty products. I think there are toxic emotions and relationships that we have in our lives. Um, they're so if something really, and, and, and I've always noticed if I get stressed out or I'm uncomfortable in a situation, it goes to my stomach a lot. I mean, I think all of us have experienced some type of physical manifestation of, you know, a negative dynamic. So, you know, really looking at the people in my life, you know, are, are sometimes I feel like we live in a culture that is uh, very, well, for breast cancer, especially, and, and I'm not saying people shouldn't drink alcohol because it's, they do, but, and, and I still drink alcohol, but like, I looked at relationships in my life where if I talked about cutting back on alcohol, people were like, what? No, why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, things like, like, you know, people are like, but you're so fun. And it's like, aren't I fun, fun without, without alcohol? Without. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, so, so, I mean, I, but ultimately I had to look at, um, you know, yeah. Were there relationships with people who I felt like were like energy vampires? Yeah. Were there relationships with people that I felt like didn't support me making healthy decisions for myself or who made me feel inadequate in some way? I mean, that's, that's more of an internal thing, I think. But, um, and I ultimately had to look at my relationship with this incredibly wonderful partner I had at the end of the day, 
really felt like there was a lot of healing I had to do. And I don't know if you've encountered this in some of your other cancer or breast cancer specifically stories, but I had had an, like a really excruciating heartbreak about, uh, a, a, a couple years before my breast cancer diagnosis, like before romantically. This, yes. Okay. Yeah. My, um, uh, like my, my wedding day turned into a disaster with my eight year relationship. Uh, someone I thought was a love of my life. And it, it just, it was, it was a, a very, very heartbreaking time for me. And I ended up jumping into a relationship pretty quickly after that. And I remember telling this person, I don't, know that this is a good idea um, because I, I'm kind of, I, f I feel pretty wounded still. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, but we ended up having a relationship I don't regret, but I had to look at that and I had to look at our dynamic and, um, you know, just to be extremely honest and vulnerable, I really felt like our dynamic when it came down to it was you know, here he, he kind of swooped in like a knight in shining armor. When I had this terribly broken heart, he swooped in when I was diagnosed with cancer and was like the ultimate perfect partner. And it just felt like our relationship thrived when I was being rescued by him. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's what I was thinking. And I, I couldn't, I didn't feel okay about that. But yeah. it was very, very hard to walk away and say, I just, I have a healing journey to be whole that needs to occur before I can truly offer anybody the love that they deserve and the love I think you deserve. I know I can't speak for you, but, you know, I also, I don't like feeling, um, like the damsel in distress. Right. So, you know, we would go through periods where it just was hard. And then if a crisis would come up, we were madly in love again. And I was like, that's that just, I just, crazy. it didn't. I mean, I've heard <laughs> that. I, I, I believe me, I have and experienced a little yeah. bit of that, but um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I feel lucky to have been with a caring, wonderful person. It's not like the worst problem to have. Be like, oh, a supportive, loving partner. <laughs> you know, he wasn't he wasn't trying to create this dynamic. I think it was just a lot of subconsciousness. It was interesting too, because he his mother had been diagnosed with breast cancer when he was a teenager. And his sister had been diagnosed with breast cancer when he was um, you know, a, an adult. But he, you know, he, he's very self-aware and he even said, I kind of feel like, you know, the helplessness that I experienced as a teenager, seeing my mom go through her battle, like, this is my opportunity to, you know, be who I wanted to be for her. Mm -hmm. And he was, um, but yeah, there were just a lot of things. And so I made the hard decision to leave that relationship and figure out how to sit with my feelings, which was something I really didn't know how to do and meditation helped me with, and also deal with the baggage of my previous heartbreak. Uh, and there's actually, there have been some studies about 
women with breast cancer. And a lot of them have like a divorce story a couple years previous, which I find fascinating. Um, well, in Chinese medicine, grief, sadness lives in the lungs. And so I completely believe that study is valid and has some merit. Um, mm -hmm. What was your worst moment in all of it? <sighs> mm. I feel like my worst, best moment, and it still makes me really emotional. It was just a very powerful moment. Um, I remember the day that I got the news and I, you know, we were still in this beautiful Yosemite house and I couldn't sleep. I was just, I think anybody can probably, probably has this experience. You're just, your mind is racing. And, um, and I was so scared and I, I remember going to sleep that night and I, I couldn't sleep. I'm just lying awake there tossing and turning. And I, you know, my partner woke up and, and he was like, what, what, are you okay? What's going on? And I was just like, I, I felt like I was having a panic attack. Right. And, um, and I remember he, he was like half asleep and he just took me outside. You know, here we are like in this just gorgeous, beautiful area of Yosemite. And he was just like, just look at the stars right now. <laughs> And it was, you know, those those towns where there's not a lot of light pollution and there was a river right below this deck and this Airbnb. And I just remember like being so scared and feeling so helpless and, and unsure, but also just looking at the stars and recognizing like just feeling really connected <laughs> to the universe and um, feeling gratitude that I had a partner who could be intuitive and, and caring and supportive and not being like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Like just, just saying, just like acknowledging. And, um, that was so thoughtful of him. So thoughtful. And, uh, yeah, just, it was a beautiful moment. Uh, and that just felt, I, I remember just, I hadn't, had never felt like that raw or felt like my mortality so intensely, but at the same time feeling so connected and this, the feeling of being small in this vast universe was somehow really powerful and comforting for me. Wow. Yeah. What was your best moment? <laughs> uh, oh, I think that was the day that I got the call that I wasn't going to have to do chemo. I bet. You know, and I, yeah, and I recognize, I mean, cancer is a whole spectrum of things. Um, and, you know, early stage breast cancer, it's, it's not easy, but it's just, it's a very different than, you know, a, like a stage four experience. But I just, yeah, that was, that was a, a huge relief. I was grateful for the technology and I had also, the, the results kept getting delayed. I think that's another theme with cancer is like waiting. Just there's so much excruciating waiting and, you know, whether my doctor was on vacation or something just got, you know, sent to the wrong place. There was a big period of time after my biopsy, between my biopsy and my surgeries, and then my surgeries and my 
um, you know, test results like months because there was a lot of coordinating that had to be done that was for some reason really tricky. Mm-hmm. So that was probably my my best moment. I know a woman who is a breast cancer survivor and she wrote this book. So funny. Chemo pissed me off. <laughs> and it's so funny. I, I told her I've never known anyone who's tried to get out of chemo more than you did because she tried everything, everything, <laughs> you know, and just was not going to do it. And it's so funny, really funny. Um, what is one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning? Yeah. Um, I think, I think what I wish I had known was that, that for me personally, I believe doing your own research and kind of supplementing your doctor's care with other methods, you know, you have cancer, you like, I think that's such a great thing for people to, to, to support their treatments. Um, and know that there are, you know, in terms of for women and breast cancer, just because your doctor recommends you have a reconstruction or, you know, a second surgery on your healthy breast to make it match, like you don't have to, you don't have to do that. That's you know, right. a lot of women are, are going flat. Um, I think that can be very empowering and important. And I didn't realize that was an option. I mean, I don't know that I even would have gone that route, but there are a lot of things that, that, um, you know, a doctor is a person, a doctor is going to speak from their own experience. And some doctors, most doctors I think are very open about you making your own decisions, but there are, I've definitely heard a lot of stories and I was definitely pushed that track of reconstruction. Um, so, you know, just knowing, yeah, you, you kind of, you get to make your own decisions you do. ultimately. Yeah. I love that. Are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire? I am. I'm ready. <laughs> beach, desert, or mountains? I do love a beach, but I have to say mountains. I was wondering with Yosemite. So <laughs> yes. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? I'm a Beatles girl. You know, they're all good, but I'm I'm definitely a Beatles girl. What is one word that best describes you? I would have to say vivacious. <laughs> I like that. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? The 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 thought that came to my mind immediately was Bjork Human Behavior. Really? I don't know if you've heard it. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> Or maybe, or maybe even um, anything by Huey Lewis. I am a weirdly <laughs> huge Huey Lewis fan. No. Something about him oh. brings me a lot of peace. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's it's a thing my friends make fun of me about. Well, Huey so Huey Lewis was the very yes. first album I bought. I'm going to oh, date myself. <laughs> cassette. Yes. At the convenience store, and it. I didn't realize back then at the age of, what, 10 or whatever, I was so proud of myself buying this tape with my own money. I didn't realize that it was totally like a ripped off tape. Like I didn't realize. Oh, really? Yeah. Like a bootleg? Yeah, it was oh a bootleg. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah, the like convenience reco- store. Oh, they, they just pressed record. <laughs> the convenience store was selling bootleg copies. That's how big that album was, I guess. I don't know. Oh, that is hilarious. Yeah. Which album was it? Do you remember? I want to say it was four. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, that's one of the best ones. Yeah. I, 
Yeah. So yeah. So that was my first purchase. Um, okay. Back to you. What about the last meal you want to eat? <sighs> the last meal I want to eat would probably be my mom's tacos. What kind of tacos? Well, she just, you know, she like double fries them. <laughs> They're like crispy tacos. <laughs> and, you know, it's not something actually I normally eat, but I just remember like she would fry the tortilla then she would put everything in, then she would fry it again. And it was a recipe that was uh, passed down from my grandmother. So it'd be the, those tacos and then my great grandmother's um, gooey rolls, which is like a, it's basically like our family version of a, a cinnamon roll. Ooh, that sounds good. What about the last person or people you want to see? Uh, that's such a hard one. And, you know, the first person that comes to my mind would be my mom. Um, you know, she's just been my rock and um, we've, we've journeyed a long time together to where we are today is we're very different people, but I, she's funny and she's kind and I, yeah, probably her. Does she live close? She lives, I'm in Oregon. She's in California. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's not super far. What about the last words you will speak? <sighs> this is another hard one, but when I was, I was thinking about this and I think I would just, it would just be, be kind you know, we are all going through things all the time and, um, you know, just be, just be kind to each other. It's, it's not that hard and it makes a big difference. It does make a big difference. Totally. <laughs> and aside from cancer, you, what's one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And please tell people how they can get in touch with you. Absolutely. So, one of my favorite resources for um, cancer patients is Wildfire Magazine. Um, they're, they're an incredible publication that focuses on women who were diagnosed under 50, so the young-ish breast cancer community, They and it's absolutely fantastic, and it's just very, very vulnerable and incredibly beautiful essays written by women. Some are funny, some are just very raw. And um, I, I've been published in their magazine and I am just such a big fan. Uh, also, you know, people can find me. I, I have a, a podcast for breast cancer patients called Tata Cancer. That's on all the podcast platforms. I'm on Instagram and uh, Facebook at Junie B. Well. And that's also the name of my practice where, uh, you can reach me on my website, uh, .com, where, you know, I do one-on-one -on -one work with, with clients, um, for breast cancer patients and survivors. And I also work for, I think you mentioned for the Rose City Health Collective and, and that's not just focused on breast cancer patients, but that breast cancer patients have a special place in my heart in terms of, you know, reclaiming your sexuality and feeling good in your skin. That's, that's sort of what I'm all about. Like, how do we feel, how do we feel good? Yeah. Like, I, I really think cancer can be an opportunity to live your best life. And which is why I think what you're doing is incredible and giving people that opportunity and then sharing these stories. So thank you for what you're doing. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Absolutely. It was my pleasure.
Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.